0: Don't you see? He's got us now. Okay, this is exactly what he wants. We can't go to the police. Not now. He's made sure of that. He's just out there, and he's watching us and waiting. What
1: are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for?
0: A year after a deadly hit and run, four friends are stalked by a killer. Special guest Mike Kahn returns to the show to discuss our long-lost brother, TV shows to watch on the elliptical, and the trashier version of Maxim. Then we find out if I know what you did last summer stands the test of time. It's the test of time, James and Allen have their say. Do the
2: movies you love still
1: hold up today?
0: James says, gladiator with the
1: blood. And Alan says, as a father, blah blah. It's the test of
2: time, James and Allen have their say. The Love still hold
1: up today.
2: Tens of time, James and Alan have to say, really Do we love still hold up today?
1: Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of the Test of Time. We're joined with a guest, but first I'm James Brief and this is my buddy and pal, the director of these podcasts, Alan
0: Noah. How are you doing, Al? I am doing very well. Thank you, James. And yes, we are joined by a very special guest. Joining us for the fourth time is Mike Khan. Mike, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. It's an honor as always. Well, I'm glad to have you back. We were trying to, to get you back for a while. The scheduling was difficult. But you are here for the first of three spooktacular, spooktober episodes that we are doing for Halloween throughout October. We're doing three scary movies. We're going to do one from the 90s, then one from the 80s, and one from the 70s. Why are we counting backwards? Because we got you here tonight. That's why. And a little secret. I know what you did last summer. <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. Well, what did you do last summer, Mike? I don't think I've seen you since uh, since the summer. What were you up to this summer?
2: I relaxed. My kids were in camp. One of them was in sleepaway camp. No activities, no sports, no birthday parties. It was fucking amazing.
0: <laughs> that sounds very, very nice. As a father, I know you do think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, my son Eli was playing baseball throughout the summer, so we did not get that break That you're talking about, and I I am a little jealous.
2: My son Eli was in sleepaway camp. I had a big break from him.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yes, and it is funny that we both have sons named Eli. And James, I know what you did last summer because we were hanging out all summer, and you were telling me all the things you did over the summer. I was here and I went to camp. Exactly. James got sent to sleepaway camp for one week or two? Two
1: weeks. Two wonderful weeks. weeks. I want to get sent to sleepaway camp. (laughs) You should go with James. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah, come, come to Sleepaway Camp. Oh, my God, that would be the best. Sleepaway Camps, I mean, I'm the camp doctor. Um, they, they, I think they need a camp lawyer, like on, like, retainer, like, at the camp. Oh, my God, summer. then we're set. Yeah, you're set. Absolutely <laughs> Done.
0: But tell me why you wanted to come back on the podcast to talk about I Know What You Did Last Summer. Why was this the movie that you picked? Well, we talked about Boiler Room mm-hmm.
2: and how I lived that. Right. And, well, this one,
0: I didn't live. oh i I thought there was like going to be a a dramatic reveal again i would have been really impressed well me and my friends we killed the guy once and if if you had a story like that that would have been pretty shocking
2: no it's a fun movie like i thought that this was more of a summer movie and turns out if it's more of a halloween type movie but
0: it was a fun ride back in 98
2: and it was a fun ride in 2023
0: Originally, we were thinking about doing it in the summer, and it would have worked as a summer movie. It takes place over Fourth of July weekend, mostly I hey, think it works as a Halloween time movie whatever it's fine. Whatever gets us together exactly. We reviewed uh,
1: the scream a nineteen ninety six scream and it really is kind of the uh one of the first horror films of kind of the modern era because of what it represented it basically was not a parody or a spoof but it basically based all those 80 supernatural you know freddy and jason and and michael myers and kind of put them all together and put them in one new movie and the thing about scream was that it it, uh, mostly starred young attractive teenagers and it was incredibly popular for our age and we were the exact uh Demographic when Scream came out. And that led to a lot of, I wouldn't say copycat films, but uh, films like this, actually. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, she was not the first cast as Julie James. I don't know if you, you read about that, but um, this is a Nickelodeon and TGIF star. There's only one of them. Melissa Joan Hart? Correct. Yeah, Ooh. Melissa Joan Hart. And she specifically uh, turned down the role of Julie James because... A quote from uh, IMDb that read is, it looks like uh, another ripoff of Scream. Another ripoff of Scream. So even she's acknowledging that everyone in Hollywood was probably trying to make these. And if you remember... Every poster was exactly the same. It was kind of the profile shots and and the main stars in the front, which was interesting about Scream because Drew Barrymore was in the front. But after that, it was always whoever survives is in the front and whoever's like the small picture, they're totally dead. Other films like uh, Urban Legends came out and uh, The Faculty, Disturbing Behavior. Blair Witch. uh, Blair Witch. Blair Witch I'll give a little bit. uh, That was a little different, but um, just because it wasn't... uh, like exactly the way they were the show was different this. yeah yeah but a lot of these kind of slasher and then they one by one get knocked off and uh, you know, it was just the same formula over and over and it, you know it worked for a while it's just like when when one 3d film works they made so many 3d films but I remember this film being one of the first ones because I saw this in the theater actually um, I think I did maybe I didn't see it in the theater but I definitely saw it then on a break from college when um when we were renting something at Blockbuster. Because I saw that. I've not seen this film in uh, in almost 25 years. But I've seen this exactly once before. And I think right when it came out. Did you see it when it first came out, Mike?
2: I saw this, I think, a year or so later. Like, I'd heard about this from a couple of friends. And I,
1: like James, got it from Blockbuster and made it Blockbuster Night. What about you, Al? Uh, when did you first see us? Was
0: this the first time you saw this movie? No, I definitely saw it before. I thought that I saw it in the theater, maybe over Thanksgiving break or something. I don't know. But I did just want to say when you were talking about the um, the connection with Scream, Kevin Williamson wrote Scream and he wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer. He wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer first, but it just kind of sat on the shelf and no one was interested in making a horror movie until Scream did really well. And then they fast tracked uh, his other movie that, you know, was written previously. So, and do you know what else was huge
1: for him in uh, 1997? Dawson's Creek. Yep. I don't know if you remember, but there was almost like a like a trope of Kevin Williamson kind of screenplay. Because it was kind of a thing that these like 16-year-olds were talking like a very well-educated and very erudite 30-year-old. And uh, Pacey and Dawson, and you know, they talked like, what do you think the ramifications of what we're doing are? And, yeah, no one talked like they did. (laughs) A lot more
0: intelligent than us. That's a Kevin Williams in style. Right. So let's uh, recap I Know What You Did Last Summer, for anyone who doesn't remember it. It's a horror film about four high school graduates who accidentally run over a pedestrian after a night of partying. They panic and dump the body in the ocean, vowing to keep what they did a secret. One year later, they return to their small town, but nothing is the same as all four are traumatized by what occurred that night. Julie, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, receives a frightening letter that says, I know what you did last summer. Just like the title of the movie. Get Mm -hmm. it? Get it? Mm -hmm. Then she and her friends are stalked by a raincoat-wearing, hook-wielding killer. Barry and beauty queen Helen are killed, so it's up to Julie and her ex-boyfriend Ray to find out who is following them before it's too late. So I don't need to ask you if this was a hit because it was a hit because there was a sequel. This film was number one at the box office for three weeks in a row, uh,
1: opening at fifteen and a half million dollars. Made seventy-two million dollars world. Uh, sorry, seventy-two million dollars in the USA and one hundred twenty-six million dollars worldwide. This was a huge film. Yeah, it spawned a uh, you know, sequel and then yeah, tons of
0: uh, copycats. An uh, Amazon series that aired a year ago. Uh, yeah, like one season, then they killed it. Right, right, right. I don't know if they completed
2: their story or if it ended on a cliffhanger. I didn't watch it. Didn't watch it. Didn't even know it was out there. But I've heard that they are going to come out with another sequel with Jennifer Love Hewitt and
1: Freddie Prinze Jr. Sure,
0: because why not?
1: Got to make money somehow.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: Why not? I mean, it's 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 a nostalgic cash cow. But um, Kevin Williamson, he had... Three stellar cast. Yeah, Dawson's Creek, which made Michelle Williams, you know, a huge A-list star, and of course, uh, Katie Holmes became a uh, big and uh, uh, Scream, of course, launched a bunch of careers, and uh, you probably would have never heard of Nev Campbell if it wasn't for that film. Was she Party Five before or after? The- she was Party Five movie. before. Yeah, Scott Wolf is that his name? He he, he was stuff. also Party Five. Yeah, fun fact, he was Nate Pilum. Okay, so he is our brother. He is our brother. How about that? That's right. Um, yeah, so this film, uh, this had of course Jennifer Love Hewitt, and she's still uh, she's still doing film. she did she did films for a while. She also had a very successful uh, television career. She was on that show uh, Ghost Whisperer for like six or seven years. It's one of those shows that none of us watched, but if you're on a CBS show for six years, you made bank. You know that that's a network show in like the you know early two thousands. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar became huge And she also became uh, a, uh, the horror queen um, Well, she was on Buffy That's not really horror, more horror comedy But she was in a very big film, The Grudge That that was uh, that was quite big a few years later And Scream 2 And Scream 2, right? Um, Freddie Prince Jr. He was huge for like a year or two There really was a Freddie Prince Jr. moment Where I think after She's All That the studio must must have given him like a four-picture deal. He also, of course, uh married. You know who he married.
0: Well, yeah, Sarah Michelle
1: Keller. Of course. And they, they're still happily married today. Right, and they met on the set of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm, yes. Uh Johnny Galecki, he is uh he's Max in this film, and it's amazing. If we watched it uh 20 years ago, I guarantee we would say the guy from Roseanne. And today. Any person under 30 would say, oh, the guy from The Big Bang Theory. I, you know, The Big Bang Theory wasn't the best show, but I think, he's, I think he's very good at it. He's been in a lot of dramas that, uh, that I've seen. He's, he's quite a good actor. I
0: like him. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where I've been impressed by him. But then I've only seen him in Roseanne and Big Bang Theory, which I've watched two episodes of in my life, and this movie. You've watched only two episodes of Big Bang? Maybe it's only one and a half. How? Because it was garbage? Really? Yeah. I thought
2: that would be like such a you show.
0: Really? Why? I'm a little offended.
2: I kind of felt like you like those kinds
0: of comedies. No, 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 no. I am not really into standard sitcoms. Whoa. Okay. I've, you like more highbrow stuff. It doesn't have to be highbrow, but there are a handful of sitcoms that I've watched over the past 10, 20 years. The ones that everyone like, you know, The Office and 30 Rock and Parks and Rec. Um Modern family, I was into, but a lot of network sitcoms I just couldn't get into. Wow. Mm -hmm. I never watched it
2: like when it was out on CBS, but for some reason, like without fail, it's always on when I go to the gym. It's always always on on. like TBS, TNT, (laughs) and if I'm on the elliptical, there's a decent chance that that's what I'm watching, either that or friends.
0: I had a coworker who once said something very similar like that. I'm like, oh, you must love the Big Bang Theory. And I was like, no, I hate it. And he was very shocked. And and I was like, no, that's crap. And he was like, it's oh, so good.
1: I was like, uh, he thought of you as an enormous nerd and then assumed that you would like the nerd show.
0: And see, that I understand. But then he, who is also a writer, said, that show is so well written. And I was like, come on. No, it's not. Well, I mean, uh, it's very, very trendy to uh, to shit on the Big Bang Theory. Are uh, you saying that I don't like the Big Bang Theory because I'm just trying to be
1: trendy? No, no, I'm, ju- I'm just saying in general. I'm not saying that's... Uh, but it, it is it is very trendy to, to hate on the Big Bang Theory. Oh, I wasn't doing it to be trendy. I just thought oh, it was okay. a crappy show. Something like that, something like
2: Friends, it's like you can kind of like be in it and out of it and just have it on in front of you and not really care. I and get that. And sometimes you need those shows, like you don't really need to focus on that much, like Game of Thrones is hard to watch, like, hour after hour after hour of that. Absolutely. And you certainly can't do that if you're, like, killing yourself on the elliptical for an hour.
1: Yeah, it, it's mindless. It's mindless comedy. It's not highbrow. It occasionally has uh, funny stuff. And it's it's got a spectacular cast. I think that cast is excellent. But uh, the other cast member that I had no idea was in this film was also uh, Anne Haish. Mm-hmm. She basically plays a crazy woman for,
0: for a couple minutes in the film. She's in two scenes. Yeah, she's in two scenes. Okay, so you saw this movie shortly after it came out. Were you really into horror movies? Were you just really into this movie? Like, what, I what was
2: into Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar like every red-blooded guy our age. All I'm right. not going to
0: lie. Fair enough, fair enough. I forget when Jennifer Love Hewitt was on the cover of Maxim. It had to be somewhere around this time. We were in college. I remember that much.
2: Probably sophomore year, maybe junior.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think... Back then, being on the cover of Maxim was a big deal, at least to us, I guess. You know, like guys our age. Uh, and also, that's how Donald Trump found
1: his wife, Melania no shit. Melania Krause. Was on, she was on the cover of FHM, which was like... That the, makes like, more sense. That was like the lower tier, Maxim being the higher tier of those very high-brow the men. The trans- your British cousin. Exactly. I do like that it's a mix. I thought at first that they were going to be all privileged kids, but it's a mixture of the privileged kids, uh, Ryan Philippe and uh, or Felipe and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. They're definitely the rich ones, and uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is definitely he's he's the uh, he's the blue collar guy, and and Jennifer Love Hewitt is I guess just re- re- regular middle class. But um, the four of them, they're partying together and uh, one of them, they were drinking. So uh, Freddie Piers Jr., he decides to drive and he's distracted by one of the drunk guys. And uh, there's a guy that walks in the middle of the street and they hit him. They basically panic because they think they'll be pinned for it and then they throw the guy in the uh, ocean. And I'm not gonna say it's unrealistic because they are teens. They are stupid. All of them but Freddie Piers Jr. are drunk. They should just have gone to the police. I don't think they would have gotten in any trouble. I mean, a little trouble, but also realistically knowing that, like, Ryan Philippe and Sarah Michelle Geller as, like, literally the, the the rich town beauty queen girl and, like, the guy in the huge mansion, this was an accident. Just knowing the legal system, I think it rightfully would have gone for these kids had they gone to the police. Kids will say stupid things. We'll never believe it wasn't me driving my car. That's what uh, Ryan Philippe's character says. And he was drunk. So at least there's plausible there. But I was just kind of thinking like, uh, unt- until you like threw the guy into the ocean, you guys still could have called. And and uh, I think uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character even does said, Her say character, that. Yeah. She's like, we could still call the police, guys. And uh, I, I did give it credit for that. But it was just kind of one of those, ah, none of this had to happen. It's not a plot hole. Uh, I think it's actually more realistic that these teenagers would panic. But none of this had to happen. It also didn't have to happen if they called an Uber, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Well, if they called an Uber, then Freddie Prinze Jr. could have just said, hey, I can just invest in this thing and I won't be a poor guy anymore. Mm -hmm. It's also 1997. How does everyone have smartphones? Damn it. What the hell is a smartphone? Wait, we don't even have flip phones yet. What the hell is a flip phone? And then, you know, the whole movie wouldn't make any sense in 1997. It seems like a good idea at the time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I think you bring up an interesting point, James, because these characters are supposed to be kids that you're rooting for. And I think the idea is, well, they made a terrible mistake. And does that mean that their lives should be ruined because they made this one mistake and they made some poor decisions in the aftermath? But to your point, it's so obvious what the right thing is to do. And... I kind of don't like most of the characters after that scene, especially uh, what's Ryan Felipe's character's name? Barry, right? I really hate Barry because he is so adamant about not calling the police. He grabs uh, Julie, the Jennifer Love Hewitt character, by the neck. He's holding her by the neck, slams her on the car. is like, you're not going to call the police. You never will. And... I thought, okay, well then Barry's the bad guy and we hate him and he's going to die first and we're going to be happy about it. But the way the movie kind of positions him, he's still one of the quote-unquote good guys and I, I really just had a hard time rooting for him or hoping that he would be okay.
1: Um, I don't think you're supposed to
0: root for him. I mean, there
1: was a chance for redemption. I think all of these kids could have had redemption. I mean, Barry says something that at least makes logical sense. It doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. But he says when they think this guy's dead, they say, he's dead anyway. If they pin it on us, we're dead too. So with that logic, they figure, okay, let's get rid of the body. But when they get to the pier, that guy is fucking alive. And those all four of them are murderers, or attempted murderers, as it was. And at the end of the film, you find out he was a bad guy. He was a murderer anyway. So they were like, Ray, Freddie Prinze Jr. says something like, or Julie says, I I couldn't live with that guilt for a whole year. Like, no, you should still feel guilty. You kicked a person. You had no idea that he was a murderer at the time, and you still killed him or tried to kill him or didn't call the police and try to rescue him. I, I agree with you, Al. None of these four people are good. Maybe, arguably, Ray, because he seemed to have felt guilty, very uh, pretty junior, as we find out over the year, but none of these th- th- other people tried to do any redemption. You know what? I actually disagree a little bit. First thing,
2: obviously, going and calling the police, is you would pointed out, They didn't have flip phones. They didn't have smartphones. Calling the police was a little bit harder back then than it is now. But going beyond that also, Julie didn't want any part of that. Julie was in a position where she could call the police. And she was the one who throughout college, her year of college, wound up coming out with some pretty serious PTSD.
1: That's fair. That's a fair point.
2: So you want to draw the line between her character and Helen, or for that matter, obviously, Barry. Absolutely.
1: Right. Helen is
2: willing to push that body in I think Ray was kind of willing to do it, or willing enough to do it. But obviously, yeah, yeah Barry was the ringleader. Well, yeah, question. you're right.
1: Helen was only willing to push a, what she thought was a dead body into the water. When it grabbed her ankle, it was it was Ray that uh, that kicks her in that kicks him into the water. I don't think Helen was hugely protesting it either.
0: No, but also I think that the argument for dumping the body, maybe you could say that makes sense up until. The other car comes down the road and then when they see Max, that's when you got to just throw out the whole getting rid of the corpse idea because now someone else is there. Now someone can place you at the scene at that point. Yeah, even though you don't have a cell phone, you say, look, Max. This is what happened. You go into town and notify the police. We'll stay here. And then, of course, then they realize that the guy's not dead. And then the whole movie is not a movie anymore because they did the right thing. But that's the first turning point, even before they get to the pier. And then, you know, the the guy springs to life. That's when you say, okay, well, maybe we could have dumped the body. But no, there's another car here. So much for that. So...
2: Are you saying that you're a mentor you just don't want to get caught?
0: No, I'm just saying that, like, I understand the point of view of let's get rid of it. The second those headlights come around the bend, I feel like then that idea is just gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, but again, I I agree with you. That was what they should have done. I think these kids were
1: stupid teenagers, which is what, you know, teenagers can be.
0: Right. But then I think, you know, we're, we're talking about this movie in the same context as Scream because, you know, of the proximity to when they were released and Kevin Williamson and the young cast and all of that. In Scream, the Nev Campbell character, she is a victim. Pure and simple. I'm not saying she's perfect, but she is a victim who is terrorized and it's very easy to root for her and hope she gets out okay because she didn't deserve this shit that is happening to her. Whereas in this movie, it's different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying for me personally, I was less invested in these characters and golly gee, I hope they all survive because I don't really care about them. And then the first guy who is killed by the uh, hook man, uh, boogeyman in the slicker is Max. And that doesn't make any fucking sense because Max wasn't involved in the murder or the covering up of the corpse. And... That kill was only added later in reshoots because they needed to amp up the stakes and amp up the tension. But God, it sure feels like it was a late addition because it just doesn't make any logical sense. I I think all they had to do was
1: make Max one of their friends. I just think if Max was one of their friends, we would have cared more. Like, I mean, I cared actually because poor Max. Like, the poor guy was treated like shit. He's treated as the poor guy when, dude, your, your friend Ray, is, he's the fisherman next to you. He's like, you know, he's a working class guy. Why are you making fun of these guys? It doesn't mean as much because they were so mean to him the whole time. Then this guy dies. I feel bad for Max, but... It just didn't make sense. I agree with you. When, when you said it was a reshoot, like I'm like, yeah, that feels like it was added in because there's only four guys to kill. They decide they want to keep two of them alive for a sequel. So, you know, you're going to kill the two of them, but it's going to take a while to kill two of them. So they, I think they added a third kill count. To me, it just seemed like, okay, killer needs a little practice. And I didn't
2: really get into the heavy analysis to how or why that was written in there. I'm
1: just like, all right, got to kill somebody first, so why not him? Well, the reason they did do him, and this is what I read, and I wish it was actually done a little better, was that the killer is now trying to track down all the people that uh, he, he feels is responsible for running him over. It makes sense. Good motive. And apparently, there's a part where um, Ray is talking to Max in, in his truck, and is like, fuck you, you saw us, and you're not going to say anything. And there's maybe something in the background where the hook guy is there and therefore sees Max talking to Ray and thinks Max is part of this group. Had that been made more clear, I would have thought, oh, you know, poor guy's just in the right, wrong place, wrong time, and he's kind of put into this conspiracy when he shouldn't be. And it could be somewhat clever, but I, I agree. It's just kind of written in. Like, the poor guy is literally just hammering some uh, crabs in a, you know, a crab shack, and then he gets the hook to under
0: the jaw. It's like, what the fuck? You said Ray. I think you mean Barry. Barry, yes. Yeah, so Ray is our uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Yes, I read that thing too about that's why it kind of makes sense if you know that fact that, you know, the, the killer was watching. But even that is still bullshit because he kills Max instantly. He attacks Barry but doesn't kill him. Right. He breaks into Helen's room and cuts her hair and leaves the threatening note but doesn't kill her. Right. And he's taunting them and he's playing with them not max (laughs) why right why does he want them to live and he kills max right away also why does he want them to live at all why is he fucking with these people and psychologically torturing them to what end like the whole motive of the killer is really really murky and it's a trope where the killer at the end of the movie has a monologue and explains his motivation and he gives you the whole reason for everything that happened before and that can be eye-roll worthy, but this movie really doesn't do anything resembling that. And it really needs it. It needs some explanation as to why this guy was targeting them, why he waited a whole year, why he was messing with them before he killed them, why he killed Max, why he was doing all of these things. And I found it to be really just confusing and a missed opportunity. Did that bother you,
2: Mike? Honestly, I tried just to not overthink it too much. He was lying in wait. And if you're going to kill somebody who did something really,
1: really, really bad to you, make it a little more painful. Yeah, I do agree with that, Micah. I'll even say I sympathize with that guy. He did not deserve to let him be let him be killed or or jailed by a court of law, not not by these four teens on a on a road one night. But that forty five minutes between him being on the side of the road and deciding what to do, lifting him up, getting him in the trunk, the poor guy in a dark trunk, then put on a dock the guy was alive. I don't think he was pretending the whole time. I think he was in agony and a horrible, horrible pain. And I agree with you, Al. This is Kevin Williamson, who had an amazing, the killers reveal their entire motivation at the end of Scream. And it's like, oh, wow, I totally didn't think you guys were trying to take the 80s horror movies and say that possessed you to kill. That was so cool. Nothing. They don't have the killer saying anything like that. You're a horrible person, Julie James. You think you're good, and you know some showdown between the two of them. It, it's really nothing. They do deserve to suffer, but uh, I wish the killer said that. That's why they were trying to make him suffer. But
2: maybe part of the reason why they didn't do that was because they didn't want to make this a carbon copy of Scream. Possibly. And obviously, yeah, you're in the same genre, but two very different movies. Scream was again a lot more of a parody of these prior movies. Yeah. And this was kind of its own thing that stood for its on its own. And it was just kind of,
0: to me, at least an hour and a half fun ride. Yes. But the thing that they both have in common is that while they're also horror slasher movies, they're also kind of whodunits. Right. It's a murder mystery. Who is the person behind the mask? That is true in Scream. And I know what you did last summer. And while the characters are trying to suss it out, there's red herrings and then, you know, oh, we think it's the boyfriend, but it's not really the boyfriend. And we think this person is suspicious and they're not. And all of that's fine. But at the end of Scream, oh, this is why this guy did what he did. At the end of this movie, it's really, really not clear. So what happened is the guy who they thought that they killed, Anne Heche's brother, he killed his girlfriend in a drunk driving accident the year before. And so the, the hook man is that girl's dad. He killed his daughter's boyfriend and then disposed of the body. And that's the body that they found. But it wasn't who the four people hit it was him like all of this is murky it's confusing and again a missed opportunity because if the theme of this movie is the past comes back you can't outrun your sins well this guy also has sins this guy also killed somebody and a year later he suffered consequences there could be some parallels that could be really interesting and all of that is just meh whatever we're not going to deal with any of that. And I feel like, why? That that could have been interesting. Or, the hell with all of that shit, and just say, these kids left this guy for fucking dead, and he's super pissed. Alright, I understand that. But then play up that, that, that he's going for revenge, and he wants to make him suffer, and all of these horrible things. But they don't really do much with that either. It's a good motivation for him to want to go after these kids, but... I don't know. It just feels empty. It feels hollow. It also feels a little bit creepy because he's maybe a 45-year-old going after these 17, 18-year-old kids, which just kind of makes it a little creepier too. I don't know. I felt like the whole villain thing really needed a rewrite.
1: I I agree with you. I think the villain should have been uh, better. One part I really did not like very much was there's a scare in the film where Julie opens her trunk and it's Full of crabs and ice, and Max, he, he's dead in there. And she screams, I thought it was a pretty good effect. Uh, the crab crawls out of uh, Max's mouth. Hey, it was it's well done. And she runs inside, tells the other two, Sarah John Geller and uh, you know, the Freddie Prince Jr., Ryan but I don't know, come outside. And when they come outside, it's gotta be a minute or two later, the trunk is empty and bone dry and like yeah the thing i like about something like scream is there's no supernatural this is not freddy this is not uh jason that was a little silly that was weird yeah i agree unless the twist was going to be like scream there's a whole crew of people then maybe but for that one guy to do that perfectly i i i I was annoyed
0: by that one i don't like that also the fact that when she goes to look in the trunk she has to open the trunk of her car with a key? Just from a test of time perspective, that kind of made me laugh. Oh, that's right. That That's how you used to have to open your trunk. You'd have to walk over and take the key and put it in. And like, you know, now there's just a button for that.
2: You know, I feel like my car in high school, I actually did have a handle I could pull up as opposed to a key to open it.
0: Okay. But no, I get it. Also, right after that scene, that is Maybe the movie's most famous moment when Jennifer Love Hewitt is screaming into the air, Where are you? Come out here! I read this trivia, maybe you did too, James, that that scene was directed by a kid or something. I read it like three times and I don't understand what the fuck I read. Did you get that? No, but what you're trying to, what you're thinking
1: of is, what are you waiting for? That's what she just holds her arms out and she's screaming out for the killer because he keeps taunting them and she's waiting. Why don't you just kill us? That was the clip from the
0: trailer, and uh, I have no idea that it was directed by a kid. That's yeah, really funny. It, it was something very, very bizarre that like some kid won a contest or something, and he got to direct one moment. Mike, did you read that? No, it's so weird. Yeah, I don't really know what the fuck that is, and maybe that's just something some idiot put on IMDb and made it up because that just seems like a really weird contest that a kid would get to direct one scene from a horror movie. I'm going to say that that's probably a bullshit story.
1: You know what else is a little bullshit, a little test of time and a little bullshit when they're going to go into Anne Heche's house and like, we'll just wing it. And uh, Julie says, Angela Lansbury always had a plan. And they're referring, of course, to a uh, murder she wrote. Uh-huh. But I also don't think in 1997... An 18-year-old is referencing murder. Shooting. Somebody
2: are on our age now, that show is too old for
1: us. Yeah, exactly. That was the old person show. That would be like if, if her response is, well, I don't know. How would Matlock handle this?
0: Like it was on TV in the 90s, but like not for us. Well, right around then they also say when Jodie Foster did this, uh, there was a Psycho Killer. So that's a Silence of the Lambs reference. That one, I think, is an appropriate reference that a teenager might make in 1997. More or less, yeah. You know, like that, that one works. And then they go into the house and they're like, okay, my friend Angela. Yes, Jody, All right. But uh, I'm with you. The Angela Lansbury one was far less timely than the Jodie Foster one. Did you guys think that, that this boat was
1: enormous, that Julie kept, uh, when the uh, hook guy was chasing her, she kept going from room to room, to an ice room, to a hidden hallway, and, like, there are a lot of hidden stuff underneath the surface in this boat. Was this his boat? I think, yeah, it was the fisherman's boat because uh, fishermen's boats always have a lot of ice in there so that they could preserve the fish. Or people. and Or or in this case, the, the people. Uh, so I guess he's been murdering like a ton of people or was that Sarah Michelle Geller
0: and uh, I think it was rivalry. supposed to be, oh, yeah, okay. I guess American. it was that and Max's body. And it is his boat because then at the end you, you do see that the name of the boat is Precious Susie or Beautiful Susie or something, which was the name of his daughter. Something like that. So, yes, that was his boat. But if he's a fisherman, can't he just dump them out,
1: like, 30 miles off the Atlantic? Like, you know, 100 miles off the Atlantic? But like, then we it, wouldn't get the effect it, for the movie, James. Well, I guess he had to find the the, the, the bodies, yeah. Yes. But, all
0: right, that's why I was done. Yeah, and also then, Julie never sees him in the the slicker outfit, because at that point, he's just in regular person clothes, so she doesn't get scared by him in his full outfit. Which isn't really a big deal, but it's just kind of funny. In this kind of movie, you would expect that the main heroine would be taunted and scared by the guy in his quote-unquote famous outfit. Also, it's not a particularly scary outfit. You know, it's just like, uh, what was the, the cough drops? Was it Gordon's? The Gordon's Fisherman? Am I getting that name wrong?
1: Well, that was the Gordon's Fisherman, but I don't know. No, that's a Fish Sticks. Yeah, that is (laughs) a Fish fish Sticks. Trust the Gordon's Fisherman.
2: Well, the Islanders
1: with the Fish Sticks, those were pretty scary at the time.
0: Okay, fine. Again, with the Scream comparison, that ghost face mask, that's pretty scary. This guy who's just wearing a raincoat and a big hat? Like, that's not scary.
1: I think the hook is scary. I think it's generically scary. I don't think it's terrifying. The hook is good. But yeah, I mean, I wish there was just something a little more scary about the guy.
2: I think they were trying to avoid being over the top and overly comical. Like, they didn't want the hockey mask. They didn't want the burned face. They didn't want the stupid mask. Was it as good as it could have been? No. But I think they were trying to avoid all all the, like, really stupid tropes. And that's how they wound up, wind up selling on this. Yeah. And then the other thing is that kind of led to that scene at the parade when you had like a few people who looked like it could have been them, but it, then it clearly wasn't. Like the one who, it was who Freddie Prinze Jr.'s character who tackled him only to realize, oh crap,
0: I got the wrong guy. Or was it Barry? It was Barry. That was Barry, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it that it's like, that's the thing. It could be anyone. We're in a fishing village and everyone wears these... Fishing outfits, but also who goes to a fucking Fourth of July parade wearing that big giant like slicker? You know, it's got to be really hot. He's it not is on the, the town, though. Yeah, you might have those guys. I guess I just didn't find that to be terribly intimidating. Is a hockey mask? I guess that's a fair question. Not in and of itself, but it becomes terrifying because of the movies. Also,
1: that's one of the beginning ones. So I think now it's a thing to have that weird mask. You know, back then you had Leatherface and and Michael Myers. I think it was all kind of starting back then. So there wasn't like a trope that you had to have it. But eventually it became a, a
0: trope that, you know, what is the mask? And Scream, of course, had a famous mask in it. When you said that the the hook is what was scary, it kind of made me think of the beginning of the movie when they're talking about the story of the hook hand and its foreshadowing in the movie. Also kind of meta-foreshadowing because I think one of the next movies that came out after I Know What You Did Last Summer was Urban Legend, which was a movie that had a lot of these horror urban legends in it. And that was kind of the jumping off point. That was the premise of that movie. I... I think I did see that one and it was pretty stupid too, but like, it just kind of struck me that, oh, they're sort of setting the stage for the next horror movie here, even though I'm sure that wasn't their intention.
1: Well, I wonder if the original ending, once they bought this film, they're like, all right, we can film this, but you have to set up a sequel. Like, I feel like the last scene is just a, you know, it's a jump scare setting up. I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, I think it's actually the first scene
0: of the sequel, which I did see as well. And I remember thinking it was horrible. Really? That's interesting that you say that. I thought it was the opposite and that in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, they completely ignore that last scene. You might be right. You might be right. I might be wrong, too. I really don't know. It's been
1: 20 years since I saw it. There was something about, not really being very clear, but there was something about that ending scene either being completely ignored or they just said it was a dream because the movie ends with, like, a bad guy jumping out of a mirror. Like, again, we're going to a weird science fiction realm. Or is there supposed to be a hidden wall behind? you know the mirror at this like random you know new england university i think it had to be a dream and then
2: my general takeaway from this and i think this is where we come to a different place here i don't think they want you to think too much about it i think with a lot of these things in the movie if you take it for a 90 minute fun little ride then a
0: lot of the holes and issues that you guys are seeing you don't really care you know i think you're right about that mike and i can imagine the writer or director or editor or someone along the way saying, yeah, you know what, that is kind of a plot hole, but the people who are going to see this movie, it's teenagers who are going to be making out and no one's going to give a shit. And so when someone said, hey, how come we don't understand the villain's motivation and why he waited a year and how come there are all of these other questions? The answer was Shut up. No one cares. Yeah.
2: And this kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about the Big Bang Theory. If you just take it for a doofy fun comedy that keeps you entertained for 20 minutes or whatever while you're on the elliptical, you can have a little fun. If you're looking for highly intelligent written stuff, if you're looking for Parks and Rec, if you're looking for The Office, if you're looking for The Sopranos or Game of Thrones... This ain't it. It's just a fun little 90-minute ride. You can enjoy it for what it is, or, or you can choose not to. That's a really
0: good point, Mike. And you get a gold star for tying it all back and, and bringing it full circle. That, that, that was really good. I really like that. Um, but let me ask you, Mike, do you think that the movie as a whole stands the test of time?
2: Okay. If we take it for what it is as a fun slasher film, sure, why not? If we consider whether this movie could work in 2023, the answer is clearly not, because to my earlier point that I raised to you, James, they could just call an Uber and nobody kills anybody on the road and the drunk drivers get home safely. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, they made slasher movies before, they'll make slasher movies again. Are there going to be slasher movies with potholes? Yes. Is everything going to add up and make sense? No. Do we care? Maybe you do, maybe I don't. For somebody who doesn't really care... Sure, it stands the test of time. If you really do care and you're looking for high-minded prose, then no. But I'll say yes, because for these purposes, I didn't care.
0: Okay, so so you're
1: landing on yes. Yes. What Go do ahead. you think, Al? Uh, does I know what you did last summer stand the test of time?
0: No, I don't think so. It it has too many problems. And I mean, I guess the counter-argument For It does stand the test of time is that they made the sequels and there was an Amazon series and and all of that. It's based on a book from the 70s that is apparently very, very, very different and doesn't have any actual death in the book. I will say it's a great title and I am a sucker. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before. I am a sucker for movie titles that are full sentences. This is a good one. Can I interrupt you for one moment, Al? Actually, uh, I know you do
1: like those. So I went through all 380 titles. I possibly missed uh, one. It's possible. But this would be the 15th movie that has a, a sentence. And some of these are stretching. Because I think technically uh, it's a sentence. But there's some that are clearly sentences. Uh, can can I don't know it's uh, hard for you, Mike, because you didn't do 380 of these. I listened to uh, probably about 250. Y- you listened to many of them. Can you guys name five of them between the two of you? Al, can you think of one uh, movie that's a sentence?
0: Well, the first one that always pops into my mind is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. I think that is a... Brilliant fucking title, and I had a huge crush on Christina Applegate. So that's the first one that pops into my mind.
1: That and I Know What You Did Last Summer are the most well formed sentences out of <laughs> all of these. Um all right, so let me try a couple. Um first a Rick Moranis film.
0: Oh Honey, honey I Shrunk the, the Kids. kids. Okay, yeah.
1: good. When the three of us went to dinner before this podcast, Al, you talked about a hysterical sequel on the Paramount Network, uh, Paramount uh, Streaming. Oh, right. So, Beavis and Butthead do America? Technically a sentence. Okay. Um, ben Stiller's breakout film? Not Zoolander. No, at, before that. at the museum? No, way before that. Uh, that was a very famous scene with um, uh, some... Uh, Male, fluid, and hair. Oh, there's something something about Mary. Mary. There's something about Mary. Okay, here's one. This is the weakest one on the list. Um, John Travolta, one of his comeback films. Look Who's Talking. Look Who's Talking. Technically, it's a sentence. Um, I did not like this film. You did. It's a Mike Myers film. Oh, So I Married an Ex-Murder? Uh-huh. That would be a sentence fragment. Okay, all right, okay. That's a segment fragment. All right, next one. (laughs) This one was a film that it could have been seen as way racist, but in a weird way, wound up being a really interesting critique on, on, on racism in a very funny way. The gods might be crazy or the gods must be crazy? Oh, I did not include that one. So, yeah, that, that's another one. But no, th- this involves a road trip through New Jersey. Harold Kumar? Go to White Castle. Go to White Castle. That's okay. right. Okay. The next one is a unfair statement, but it uh, it says something about an entire race of people. White men can't jump. That's right. Okay. Another. Um, it's a question about a cartoon character. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Correct. Mm-hmm. The next one is a question about George Clooney. Who framed George Clooney? No. Uh, well, he is a criminal in this film. Not, oh, not that's 11? Different. No, it's a question. It starts with the word, oh. Oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. That's, that's a sentence. that's. That yeah. This is number 11 on my list. That's your clue, and I swear it is number 11 on here. Turn it up to 11. Does that help? This is Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Okay. You loved all three of the trilogy. I did not like the third of the trilogy. The Muppets Take Manhattan? Correct. Okay. Um, We have uh, two left. This is a question uh, film, and it stars Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, what about Bob? That's a question. Uh And then the final one is based on a book by a woman who graduated Cornell a year or two before us.
0: The Devil Wears Prada. That's right. Okay. Wow. That is a lot of movies with full sentences for their titles. I'm still always going to think of Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. But getting back to I Know What You Did Last Summer, some other just random things that don't stand the test of time. When Helen walks into her house and the killer sneaks in and he hides in her closet, the dad is watching a baseball game. It looks like a baseball game from the 70s. Did you notice that? College World Series. Oh was that what it was? Yes. Oh, okay. I just realized something else though. What's that? When
2: the killer walks in the house, that would have shown up on a ring.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. Not everyone has a ring though. Uh in the summer. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah.
2: Uh, do your kids do booze for Halloween?
1: Yeah, although, what's the point?
2: Well, that's the funny thing. Like, then you're watching the ring to to try and figure out who it is. The kids try and get smart about it, though. I give them credit.
0: Sometimes. And sometimes they're just, like, they wear a little mask. And it's like, yeah, but you're a short, blonde kid. And, like, we know who it is. Um, It looks like Julie has a netbook. Remember netbooks? Like, the little laptops that weren't quite laptops. But they were pretty small. And then they—I had a couple of those, and they— broke. The Chromebooks of the 90s. Yeah exactly. I'm pretty sure she has a netbook. Yes. And when she's doing research on the person that they killed. The windows. Well yeah and she's like I can access the local library online and it's like neat. I can do that too or I can just (laughs) do a stupid google search. So some of that kind of stuff doesn't really stand the test of time. But overall I just think this is a movie with a kind of Big idea that could be really interesting if they explored it, you know, how these kids made a horrible mistake and the regret that they suffer and the, the trauma and how it affects them and what happens with the the killer and how they're parallels in some way. They don't do any of that. Also, the fucking happy ending is total bullshit. Agreed. That, right? That they're like, oh, well, now we don't need to be sad because... It's fine. He wasn't really dead. Well, I mean, you were, you were kind of saying this too, James, but like the one year later when they're all happy, no, shouldn't she still be fucking traumatized that her two best friends were killed gruesomely? And her best friend's sister was, like that whole family is wiped yes. out now. I mean, Except for the dad watching the College World Series at home. Yeah, like it's fucking awful, but there's no trauma. It's fine. The I- trouble I have though is she's
2: accusing him of murder one minute and then she's like cuddling up to him the next minute.
0: Yeah. How are I, we supposed to buy that? That That's also true. Also, sorry, no offense, but they're pretty bad actors. Like, especially in that scene, the reconciliation of Freddie Prince Jr. is like, no one gets me the way you do. And Jennifer Love Hewitt says, I understand your pain. I had that exact
1: two sentences written down. I usually don't pick up bad acting. If that was horrible writing. I don't yes. know how Meryl Streep would, would deliver, I understand your pain after that. I, I don't know.
0: You're, you're right. It is horrible writing and horrible acting. I really can't stand Freddie Prince Jr. or Ryan Felipe in general as actors. Sarah Michelle Gellar I like from Buffy. Jennifer Love Hewitt's fine, but not really an amazing actor. There's a lot to roll your eyes at in this movie. So I'm going to say that it does not stand the test of time. James, what do you think? Um, I
1: pretty much agree with what you said, Al. I think I probably kind of liked it uh, 20 years ago when I saw it. I remember thinking jump scares at the end of films are really lame and cheap, and I still think they're lame and cheap. Fair. Uh, Especially when, yeah, I can't even remember if it leads anywhere in the sequel. Probably doesn't. I don't think the guy jumps through a, a mirror. But um, I especially agree with what you said, Al. There's a lot in here and a remake of this film, which I think should be remade. I I think it's it's a perfectly fine premise. I think there's a lot you could do. Make the killer a little bit more interesting. They get a little bit more intelligent and give these kids like not a complete out that they uh, almost murder someone at the end. Kevin Williamson had he had the a real great cast at uh, uh, Dawson's Creek and then even a great cast at Scream. I'm not as harsh as you are. I think it's a little weaker. This cast it carries it enough. It's just not enough. It's not a good enough screenplay. I don't think it's a good enough movie. Uh, I don't find the motivation of the killer interesting. I don't find the characters. I'm not rooting for them. Their guilt wasn't enough. And yeah, for me, I, I did not need to see this film again. I have zero curiosity to know whether or not I still know what you did last summer picks up from The Last Seed. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it does not stand the test of time.
0: Sorry, Mike, you're outvoted. I had fun. Did okay. you guys have fun? I had fun hanging with you, Mike. And that's why we do this. Also because you brought us cookies. We'll put a picture on Instagram <laughs> because you do make very delicious cookies. Um, But that was an extra treat. The real treat was hanging out. So thank you for joining us. And uh, this was your fourth movie. So you're going for a hoodie. Is that what you're you're looking for? That's the goal. Okay. All right. You have another one in mind? Yes.
2: Next one we're going to do together, Wizard of Oz, because I don't believe that somehow you guys have not done that one. I feel like I pitched it once and you were kind of like, eh, you weren't in the mood. I just realized now why you guys haven't done it. And James, if you don't want to do it, I understand. Because
1: you hate musicals. No, I mean, I, I've liked some of the musicals we did. I've actually, haven't I liked
0: most of them? I liked Moulin Rouge. What else have we done? I don't know. I think that's a fair point. You've mentioned that you're not a huge musical fan.
1: Unless they're fantastic. And I do not need to see Moulin Rouge again, but that, that was a very visually appealing film. And it, yeah, it, was, it was good enough. I couldn't get to that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 can, I can see. I can see that. But you, you are correct. I generally am not the hugest fan of musicals. You're cool you want to do it, we'll do it. If not, we'll do something else. Hey, yeah. Let's do let's do it. Maybe we'll even do a... Uh, maybe we'll do one of the other Oz films that came out of the years.
0: I mean, maybe... The Wiz?
1: Maybe The Wiz. I was going to say, oh, the, the, that, Wiz.
0: the Wiz is the only one that's maybe worth talking about. I Actually, you know what? I take back that maybe. The Wiz is worth talking about. I'd be down for that. Um, but, Mike, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for the cookie. This was a good time. And thank you for kicking off our Halloween Spooktober Always a great time with you guys, and hopefully we do it again before long. Sounds good. Sounds good. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we will be going back a decade into the 80s for a spooky movie that I've never seen, but I'm kind of excited to watch, The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. James, have you ever seen that? I have seen that. That is a classic. I've not
1: seen that film in decades, but uh, I saw it as a kid. And uh, yeah,
0: that's that's a scary film if I remember correctly. Okay, all right. Well, I'm really looking forward to watching it and to talking about it next week and continuing our our trilogy of spooky movies. Until then, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. You can send us an email, thetestedtimepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.